BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. From 30 Rockefeller Plaza in New York City, it is August 24th, 2017, and this is episode 90 of Sci-Fi Wires Who Won the Week, a podcast dedicated to the top stories from the week in geek. I am contributing editor at Sci-Fi Wire, Danny Roth, and I am joined from across the pond by my geeky cohort. Hi, I'm Aaron Sagers, editor at large, and bewildered because normally I'm the one that does the intro. <laughs> Sorry, I've gotten into the habit of doing it. I always, I actually don't know who is supposed to, 90 episodes in. And you and I have crossed, we're always like two ships passing in the night, so I don't know who is supposed to do it anymore. <laughs> uh, well, no worries. I don't, I genuinely have no idea. I'm glad that at at, at nine zero we can celebrate by being completely clueless. Uh, well, I am joining you from across the pond, uh, and uh, yeah, it's the end of August, which is crazy, and it is episode 90, which is also crazy. Yeah, celebrating the big nine zero. It's our ninetieth anniversary, Aaron. I we're know. immortal, and uh, I I feel like this podcast doesn't feel like a day over seventy five episodes. What are you up to this week, Danny? What are you getting into? What's winning your week? What has been winning my week? A fine question. Uh, I have been playing uh, Uncharted: The Lost Legacy, that uh, that new Uncharted game that came out with uh, with Chloe Fraser and uh, or Fraser Fraser. It's like Brendan Fraser. Uh, and uh, Nadine Ross, two uh, sort of side characters in the Uncharted universe, kind of getting their own little story. And, uh, I mean, it is an Uncharted game, but with two women leads. Uh, so I like that. And I also really like the character of Chloe Fraser, um, not least of which uh, because she is played by, um, Jesus, and of course her name went right out of my head, Claudia Black yeah. from Farscape. And also Stargate, um, one of my favorite sci-fi actors. So, uh, yeah, it's been good. I mean, it's an Uncharted game. I, I mean, I don't think you can go wrong with those if if you like uh, an adventuring game that's a little bit on the rails. Um, but, yeah, I just I started it yesterday. I played a couple hours of it, and I will probably beat it before the weekend is out because those games are pretty addictive. So if you like Uncharted games and you like, women leads and you like Claudia Black. I don't know why I made this so specific. But if you like those three things, you will probably love Uncharted the Lost Legacy. All right. The end. I'm um well, you know, uh, as I said at the top, I'm in London and um I'm here covering for Sci-Fi Wire Fright Fest. Never heard it's of a, it. Uh, yeah. It's a uh, well, Fright Fest you should have heard of if not Sci-Fi Wire. Uh, it's a uh, horror film festival that's uh, pretty popular here in uh, in the UK, and there's a couple things that are premiering here. We get to see Death Note, Adam Wingard's new. Uh, well, I guess it's a movie, right? Or is it a series? I I believe it is. I believe that it is a movie. Did wait? Have you already no, seen I it? Or no? I haven't seen it yet. Um, I'm supposed to catch that tonight, and then 
I believe I've heard talk of um, Adam Green's Hatchet movie, Victor Crowley, might pop up out here, oh, cool. which is getting a little bit of buzz. Um, but for me specifically, my my interest lies in the latest Child's Play Chucky movie, Cult of Chucky, the seventh in the franchise. And I've seen the movie already, and I've interviewed Don Mancini, who is the architect of this franchise, as well as Jennifer Tilly and Fiona Dorif, who are both uh, actors in the film and and have already previously joined the franchise. And I gotta say, Cult of Chucky, it's um it's a it's a fun horror movie that I think that if people give it a shot when it comes out, it comes out beginning of October, I think they're gonna find that Don Mancini has actually started crafting a Ryan Murphy esque universe for Chucky that affords him the opportunity to kind of go off in different directions and really play with with this character and this world and it's got this uh psychological horror going on it's got a lot of noirish elements it's um it's an asylum type of movie and it really kind of plays with the the Chucky myth and um yeah, I, I was really pleasantly surprised by this. And hell, I got to hold uh, a Chucky, a on-screen Chucky during uh, during my interviews. So that was pretty cool. But are you a fan of this franchise? Uh, I like I like Chucky. Um, I don't know that he's my number one creepy doll, but um, I do like him. I What I'm actually sort of curious about, uh, just because this franchise is so long-lived, and I think this sort of becomes the challenge of any horror franchise, is uh, how do you sort of... Um, find the middle on dealing with existing canon and also constantly entreating new viewers. I think that's a really big challenge. And I know that at least to some degree, uh, Mancini is, is sort of circling the wagons a little bit, isn't he, by bringing in some actors, Jennifer Tilly, and I forget uh, the other actress's name. Jenna Dorf. She's the daughter of Brad Dorf, who has voiced Chucky since the beginning. The, my big question about this child's play continuation is how uh, is uh, Mancini sort of marrying the idea of having something that people can watch if they are not maybe necessarily as familiar with child's play? I know it's been a couple years since the last film, and um, I know that he's also bringing in some uh, previous actors, uh, bringing in um, – uh, uh, Jennifer Tilly and um, what is uh, Dorif's uh, Fiona name? Dorif. Fiona Dorif is the daughter of Brad Dorif, and Brad Dorif, of course, is the voice of Chucky all along in every movie. And Fiona, in the last movie, in the Curse of Chucky, which came out in 2013, she stepped in as sort of the the lead character. But okay, so how was he? How was he kind of marrying these things? Without giving too much away, it really brings together elements from the the franchise's past. How does it move forward? Um, I think that this is actually a really good way to move it forward because while there are references to the previous movies, I think this could be a, a good jumping on point. And certainly my, my thought, my uh, guess is that Don Mancini for the next one, part eight, whatever it, it'll be titled, will treat that very much like a not a reboot but as a a a entry point for for uh new viewers but 
the the franchise has consistently, you know, it it went through some peaks and valleys, but as of this last movie, uh, Curse of Chucky in 2013, it was really well regarded by the horror community. And I'm curious to see how they respond to uh, Cult of Chucky. But I personally, I I thought it was definitely, it, it tapped into the zeitgeist, I think, of, of what American Horror Story is doing. And it, it feels fun and relevant and, and goofy at times. But, and it is horror. It doesn't really hold back on the horror elements. So I'd be curious to get your take when, when uh, you check it out, Danny. I'm excited. I'm excited to see it. I'm always interested to see. I think for me, what I one of the things I love about the horror genre is that so often uh, you're working with very, very little in the way of budget. Uh, so it's always exciting to see the creativity that comes out of that. And I know that they didn't have a huge budget to make this film. And I don't consider that to be a bad thing necessarily, to be honest. No, but it- not not everybody needs to have a huge budget in order to make a great horror And it still movie. looks good. And, and hey, to uh, Don Mancini's credit, like it actually – costs more money to use a puppet and he has consistently used a, a, uh, a, a puppet or, uh, a, an actor to portray Chucky over the years instead of going to CGI. So, um, kudos to him for that one. Yeah. I'm really grateful for that. I, I feel like all, all of the oxygen would go right out of the room. If there was a CGI Chucky, I think that would be terrible. I think that would really lose me. If I could pinpoint a thing that would make me not watch a child's play movie, it would be pure CGI Chucky. I'd be like, I'm out, I'm out. I know that he's fighting an uphill battle on that. I know that there's always a desire to switch to CGI because it's cheaper, but I'm glad that he hasn't. Well, once uh, once I check it out with a uh, audience today for the second time, I'll let you know what they think, as well as uh, the response to some of the other movies I'll be checking out at Fright Fest. And meanwhile, you can keep an eye out on Sci-Fi Wire for our interviews with Don Mancini, Jennifer Tilly, and Fiona Dorf. I look forward to it. I watched one of them on the sly. I went, I snuck in and, and, and went to the secret website and watched one of them, and it got me pretty excited. Well, hey, Danny, uh, on, I mean, on yours, on stateside, you guys had, I would say, a pretty cosmic event this week. We did, we did. I was going to say there's a lot to talk about. We're going to be talking about uh, Joker, and we're going to be talking about Starfire, and we're going to be talking about The Tick, but uh, obviously there is one thing that eclipsed them all. Get it? I, I, I don't, because I didn't see it, because I've been in England. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I did see it, um, so the eclipse happened. It, this is like, it's really, it's it's sort of nice. The best thing about the eclipse is that I think pretty much everywhere you go in America um, when this happened, you would see the same thing, which is like a bunch of people all like helping each other out. Like if you didn't buy the glasses, somebody would like lend you their glasses and, you know, everyone's got their cereal boxes out. And it's sort of a really big event for people. And there's a nice moment where nobody is being a dick about a million things on Twitter because everyone's too busy with the eclipse. So that's nice. Well, I mean, and, you know, unfortunately, our uh, bad astronomy expert, Phil Plate, was not able to join us today. I'm sure he would have a lot to say about this. But from my perspective, this was the moment. This was something that everybody was talking about building up to, uh, especially stateside. And, um, yeah, like everyone on social media had some sort of plans to go outside. Some people saw more than others or were in the path of totality which I just love saying. Um, but 
it it was it, I, I I don't know I I really am always happy whenever people do gather together, but also look up look up the stars for a meteor shower or to watch a a shuttle launch, which is not happening anymore. But uh, you know, look up to the heavens and kind of think about the things that really tie us together instead of divide us. Um, unfortunately, there wasn't really much eclipse watching happening in London, so I didn't get to see it, but I saw a lot of cool photos, and uh, it was, it was, it was like a science porn type of, type of moment, you know, really where the scientists uh, get to uh, be celebrated and talk about this, this phenomena. Yeah, I mean, I actually, I think probably the best part for me, other than uh, actually, I mean, I saw a little bit, I saw a little something, I am very lazy and antisocial, so I literally went outside of my apartment around the time that it was supposed to happen and put on my sunglasses and vaguely looked up and happened to catch a moment where there was a lot of clouds but like I could just look up and for about five seconds I saw about as much as it was going to eclipse the sun where we are in New York City Uh, and I actually saw it without the use of anything other than my sunglasses and then immediately turned away and then hid in a dark room for a couple hours to make sure I hadn't destroyed my eyes. Uh, but I really appreciated the NASA coverage a lot, a lot, um, because they had all of these young kids, these young burgeoning scientists, if you will. And, um, they really were from every walk of life. And I thought that that was great. And I know that Phil talked about some stuff on sci-fi wire regarding the eclipse. We should check out. There was also a really great, uh, article on Mashable by my friend, uh, Miriam Kramer, uh, called uh, Despite Being a Space Reporter, this total solar eclipse completely freaked me out, <laughs> which I really enjoyed. Um, it's nice that even scientists can still sort of have a freak out moment over a kind of celestial happening. Well, and I, I don't know if you heard this, but while everybody was outside looking up at the, the sky to watch the eclipse, what were they not doing? They were not watching pornography. Uh, I saw these reports. <laughs> I saw these reports about how, uh, you know, Pornhub or how some of the other websites notice a significant dip in traffic during the eclipse time. So, um, (laughs) which is funny because it was also during a standard uh, work day. So (laughs) people who are normally watching pornography, perhaps during work, uh, took a break on that, went outside, looked at the sky uh, and then went back inside and presumably went blind. Because they went back to the porn. Uh, yep, I, I got it. <laughs> uh, but so I like that a celestial happening even uh, distracted us from uh, our other our other habits. Yeah, it was good. I God knows we needed it. I think I really do think that part of the reason why this eclipse was such a big deal was because uh, everybody in America was like, "What's that? Literally anything other than the thing we're talking about every day? I'll yeah. take it." Uh, well, uh, so yeah, like you said, you head to Sci-Fi Wire, check out the, the articles that we have about it. Uh, but since neither, neither of us are scientists, uh, let's move on to the nerdy stuff that we could probably talk more about. Uh, what's our next topic, Danny? Uh, why don't we talk about this Joker news? Because I feel it's a bit contentious and we have a lot to say, I imagine, both of us. Would you would you give the quick rundown on that? Yeah, well, actually, it seems like there's a, a couple quick rundowns. That First off, uh, well, we're getting two Joker movies. Two based on what I'm seeing, um, we're seeing a a Joker and Harlequin movie coming from the filmmakers behind Crazy Stupid Love, 
uh, Glenn Ficarra and John Requa. And they're also the executive producers of This Is Us, which is the immensely popular drama on NBC. Super bummer, yeah. Supposedly, yeah. Jared Leto and Margot Robbie, Robbie are going to be re- reprising their roles, reprising their roles as uh, Joker and Harlequin. And um, this is going to be a criminal love story and a twisted, insane love story. And it was described as when Harry met Sally on Benzed... Benzedrine. I don't even know how to say that drug. Benzedrine. You got it right. So there's that. And then also we're getting a Joker origin story from Todd Phillips, who is behind The Hangover, Scott Scott Silver, and get this, apparently produced by none other other than Martin Scorsese. And this will be more of a hard-boiled crime film set in the uh, 1980s Gotham City. And it's Gonna, in theory, be evoking the tone of uh, Scorsese's films like Taxi Driver and Raging Bull and The King of Comedy. So, uh, and this will exist outside of the DCEU. It'll be more of a standalone spinoff. So, I am not terribly interested in either. (laughs) That is my, I mean, like, the joke, I feel bad about it, like... It's really like the Joker Harley thing uh, I would be interested in if it wasn't coming out of the Suicide Squad stuff, which I have really, really not been into so far. That is, I mean, it's supposed to come out after Suicide Squad, too, and maybe they will sort of right the ship a little bit um, by the time we get to the end of the second film in that series. But as it stands now, I just... I don't know. I still haven't heard Jared Leto say, hey, I'm sorry that I was such a complete douche to everyone on set that everyone pretty clearly doesn't like me, that Will Smith doesn't like me and Viola Davis doesn't like me. Um, And I obviously need to come at this a different way instead of acting like um, it's everybody else's fault that there's not more Joker screen time on Suicide Squad. Like, I don't know. I just don't. The way he uh, he behaved post that film coming out left a really bad taste in my mouth, and all the stories that I heard from the set also left a really bad taste in my mouth. So I just don't have a huge interest in him as the Joker. He really is going to have to do some serious turning it around for me. I know he's an artist and he wants to be able to just do him, but, like, I don't know. There are consequences to just doing you, and one of the consequences is that I don't like him doing him so far. Margot Robbie's fine. Okay, the off behind the scenes uh, antics of Jared Leto aside, if, if we can put those aside, I just didn't really like his portrayal of the Joker. It felt off. It felt like someone that didn't understand the character, not just a new take, because Heath Ledger gave a new take, but still delivered an amazing Joker. But I felt like this didn't tap into the Joker, and I didn't want more from him. Uh, on top of that, the relationship between Harley and Joker are it's it's abusive it's psychotic it's not just a love story um and it's it's not a love story in fact what I would say is that if you want to read a good Joker Harley story go to the pages of Harlequin right now there's a good backup story ongoing backup story by Paul Dini who was the co-creator of of uh Harley and it's uh it's it's a story about sort of the falling out between Joker and Harley and it's going to lead to something, I don't know what, but it's going to be leading to a bigger series down the road, as I understand it. But 
that's that kind of captures the the relationship of these of these characters. As far as the origin story, I really am curious about these people attached to it, but I don't need a Joker origin story because part of the appeal of the character is that he is such an unreliable narrator that we don't know his we don't know his story and and it he's remained a mystery over the years so once you kind of set that in stone um it, it takes something away from it i mean it, that includes the tim burton approach to giving the joker you know the one that killed uh batman's parents spoiler alert in the in the tim burton movie i don't need a joker origin but i am curious about 1980s Gotham City evoking Martin Scorsese. So that part intrigues me. But give me a Batman movie set in that time. It's it's interesting. It is interesting. I think that it's also interesting that they're saying that it exists outside of the the DCEU because in that way, like, is it an origin story? Or is it just, you know, like you said, the Joker is an unreliable narrator. Um, I also, like, there are about a, it's really my complaint is that there are other ideas that could be explored in, in this world that are not the Joker because as you, as, as I think we both agree, like that is the whole thing is that he doesn't really need an origin that in a way it's, it's nice that you don't really know where he comes from. Um, you know, if someone had come to me and said, listen, by hook or by crook, there's going to be a Joker movie that is about where the Joker comes from. Um, and either you can do it or someone else can do it. Um, I would do it myself, um, because I have a huge ego and also because I would do it like, um, I would do it like, um, like, a like one of those horror anthology kind of things, like a VHS where you just, or like, you know, do you remember there was a, a movie that was like about Bob Dylan, but a bunch of different actors played Bob Dylan called I'm Not There came out about 10 years ago. I would imagine like that, but like horror anthology and every single story is a different take on where he might have come from. And it's played by a completely different actor and you get a bunch of really big name actors and you do a bunch of really different styles and then you put it together as one film. That's how I would do it. And I tell you what, I bet you that people would really go for that. You get when you think is you get at that point the ability to um, safely cast all different kinds of people. Do you know what I mean? Like you could have uh, a woman play the Joker. You could have a person of color play the Joker. You could have any different walk of life person play the Joker because it's all different stories. And you and like you don't really have to piss off anybody because none of it is ultimately going to count because, you know, that the Joker is a liar. None of these things are true, but you get all different, exciting versions. I don't think that it has to count to be exciting i just think it has to be a good story and so that is what i would do marty scorsese involved makes it sound like it could be interesting i just again i like you know i keep trying to like find the best way to do it but i still think there's a like a lot of other things that dc could be doing instead what this reminds me of is there was an episode of batman the animated series i i I think it may have just been called Legends of the Dark Knight, but it was about kids that were recall that were telling different Batman stories. Either, oh yeah, and, oh yeah, and they borrowed from you know Frank Miller's The Dark Knight, uh, Dark Knight Returns. They had 
and and they borrowed from I think like there was sort of the more Adam West campy version. So they borrowed from the different genres of Batman and pulled it together in this this story, these vignettes. And and um, I, that episode was so strong because it 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 conveyed the fact that not only were these kids, but depending on your interaction with the Batman, you're going to have different responses, different feelings about who he is. And you can have that with the Joker as well. And you could even do like a sort of a gentleman Joker, sort of how uh, Frank Miller did, or you can, you can channel all these different styles. I think that would be interesting. Um, And it would allow them to play without, yeah, without saying casting in stone, this is the, this is who our Joker is, our cinematic Joker is. Yeah, and there, I listen. I love the idea of um, of kids telling stories. That's a really cool concept, and I think it it plays very well with Batman mythos, especially like you know if these are a bunch of kids living in Gotham City, right? Just like you know here in New York City, kids have sort of concepts of heroes and and how they relate to the city differently um, based on what their walk of life is, what their financial situation is like, what their school situation, family, friends, whatever, like. I think there's a lot of stuff you could do with that. I actually really, that would be cool. See, now if someone said it's a bunch of kids telling their own stories, like maybe they've seen the Joker and that, or maybe they haven't, you know, or they've just heard their own stories and now like here is all their imaginings of where he came from because nobody knows. That would be a cool movie. You get all, like I said, all different actors, all different styles. That would be dope. If somebody made that movie, I would see the hell out of that. Yeah, different directors. You could have a, you can even have an animated uh, vignette. But so the, oh, the the thing that I am interested in about this news, though, is the Matt Reeves Batman movie is outside of the DCEU as well and presumably still right. starring Ben Affleck, although this does this movie doesn't exist yet. Um, I don't even think I don't, uh, Reeves was on Planet of the Apes, so I don't even think we have a script yet. But I do I am encouraged by their willingness to play outside of the, the canon, um, because I think that that's where you can tell a lot of interesting stories and not just servicing the next movie. Um, so that part I'm intrigued by. I, I like that Warner Brothers and, and DC are willing to explore that possibility, um, because let's face it, you don't, we don't need to be always building and building in the same shared universe you can still have a Justice League movie and get the basic concept of who everybody is, and now they're fighting together as a team without having every movie feed into the next movie. Yeah, I mean, you know, I look, the reality is that no matter how much uh, we talk about this uh, and excited as I can get about, like, you know, if it, if it was me and, and they said no matter what this is happening, like the way that we could weave an, an idea that we are happy with, ultimately I'd still just would be like, I don't know, like literally do, I don't know, do, do any other idea. I don't know anything else, but this, like take some more smaller characters, like not, like not to, to, to say just use the Marvel model, but you know, a lot of the Marvel characters that are really big in the movies now were not super well-known characters at the time. And like, I just, I wish they would take a, a, a risk on some slightly lesser known characters and make them into something big. And, bankable um i don't see any reason why i mean like you know i've said it before and i will say it again um we aren't even in 2018 yet 
and this movie is going to be coming out in February, but uh, I don't think anything is going to make as much money as Black Panther is going to make in 2018 because uh, there's a huge community of people that have been waiting to be represented. And if it's even remotely good, it is going to make insane amounts of money. So if DC wants to make money and they're a corporate entity, so of course they should, like, I just, I actually don't know that Joker is the answer for that. Like, just because everybody knows who he is, I don't know that that guarantees a huge profit. I think there's a lot of other possibilities. So as much as I like talking about fun ways that I could do that, I I can't impress enough my opinion that I still wish they weren't doing it. It's not my first choice, but as with all this stuff, since since I'm not the one that's holding the purse strings of uh, Warner Brothers or Marvel or any studio thus far, give it time. Thus far, yeah, someday, someday. At least make your voices heard or your ideas heard. So that way, you know, hopefully that'll bubble up to to the top tiers. Uh, yeah, anyway, do the story that, that Aaron and I said. We nailed it. I Got only it. need... Uh, uh, um, like 1% of the, of the gross. Uh, yeah, I don't uh, care. I don't care. I don't need money. I don't need, I mean, I say that because I am making fine money doing what I'm doing now. Uh, if it was anybody else, I'd be like, show your receipts and collect your cash. But, um, yeah, so that's Joker. Um, there is another, I think, pretty large piece of information that happened on the Marvel side of things. This week, which happened, I think, just uh, yesterday from when we we're recording, which is that um, this Teen Titans digital streaming movie, TV show, whatever it is that's going to be coming out through Warner Brothers um, has cast its uh, its Starfire, its Coriander uh, in the form of 24 Legacies uh, and a Diop. And um, that is big news because... She's black. That I mean, like, I mean, it's it's big news that they're that they're actually doing a Teen Titans thing in general. But like, you know, I don't. Once again, like, we're in a position where like we're sort of re envisioning different actors, uh, different characters uh, with actors who are not necessarily looking exactly like the original vision visually. Um, I mean, Coriander is orange, so you know, there's plenty of room. I mean, you know, Gamora is green. And that wasn't a problem, you know? I mean, like, Zazzy Beats looks pretty cool as Domino. I don't, you know, but people are people are in a, in a tizzy about it as they are. Um, what was your take? What was your, did you have a, a thought about this casting news? Honestly, no. I mean, I, Starfire is a, is a character that, you know, I know and, and don't really have much feeling about uh, from the comics other than, you know, one of those roster characters where it's like, okay, I know what she do, what she does, and what her deal is, and watched her in uh, the Teen Titans um, animated series. But I will say that I, I can't, I was not familiar with who Anna Diop was. I did not watch Twenty Four Legacy, uh, and I looked her up, and I think she's stunning. Uh, so I certainly want to see her, you know, do her thing, and uh, and. If, it, if that involves, you know, playing Starfire, playing a superhero, then cool. But she's an alien princess. Uh, I had literally zero thoughts about the fact that, uh, you know, she's a person of color playing a, a orange-skinned uh, alien. Uh, I don't know. I, Let me put a little bug in your ear because I, I thought about it a lot uh, yesterday and this morning. 
Um, and I do think that there is some conversation to be had. Uh, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts about this. Um, Starfire, um, Coriander has wildly different interpretations based on what your primary thought is when you think of Starfire. Because if you're thinking about like your Cartoon Network variety, your Teen Titans cartoon from back in the day, and also I think pretty much the same thing with the current crop Teen Titans Go, she is um, very bubbly, very positive, a little naive, and cute, cutesy. Do you know what I mean? Whereas uh, in the comics... She is, especially if you're talking the New 52 era when Scott Lobdell had originally started to take on this stuff, a bit of a sex bomb. Um, very sexual character, very sexualized in in not only the way that she is drawn, but in the way that she is written. Uh, she is a very sex positive figure. Um, and I think that it is an added element when you say, okay, so we're going to cast a woman of color, a black woman, to play this part because um, we do hypersexualize black women in American culture. And so how they approach the way that they're going to have her play this part and how they're going to dress her and uh, what makeup they'll use in order to get across this idea that she's an alien, I think all of these things are going to be very relevant. And I think it's something that it's a it's a bit of a it's a bit of a tight line to to walk or straddle if you're being sexy about it. Um, so that is what I have been thinking about. Any thoughts there, Aaron? Now that I've rambled for a couple of minutes, I, I see your point. I can I can agree with your point. Um, I think it's important to have uh, these a, a a diversity of people playing these characters, even if they happen to be a, uh, orange skin alien or, uh, you know, it's, it's Zoe Saldana plays Gamora in the guardians of the galaxy films. And, and she is a, a, a woman of color as well. And, and you know that, you know that when you're watching the movie that she is, um, but I don't know. I mean, I'm just glad that, that they're casting, Someone that hopefully is going to do a good job with the role and it doesn't just have to be a, a, a another white person. Um, I see your point. I guess I just I'm like, oh, OK, good. Oh, no, absolutely. Like it's not when I say that it's not it's not to say like this is a this is a yeah. bad decision. Far from it. It's just that when once you start down that path, when you make that decision, you can't just say like, all right. We tip, we tick that diversity box, nailed it. Don't need to worry about it. That'll just sort itself out. No, I, you know, it's just that, um, I don't, the thing is, I don't want them to make a, a Corey who is like the cartoon version. As much as I like the cartoon, I don't think that that particular type translates towards a live action interpretation. And also, um, you know, I don't think that you should make, make her asexual, if you're going to follow the comic at all, I don't think that makes any sense. So at that point you have to sort of say like, okay, so we're going to have this sexual being we've cast a black woman and our society hypersexualized black women. So how do, how do we walk the tightrope? We just have to think about it. That's all. I mean, like if they're going to do it and, and they should, and I'm glad they are. I just hope that they then also continue to follow the train of thought to say like, okay, I mean, like you, when you cast a person of color in a part, like I don't, it's funny because people will be like, it's not political. She was the best person for the role. I, I don't know that in our present culture, I can believe that 
Like that would be great if we lived in a world where um, race issues didn't exist, but we do. And race issues are pretty bad in the year of our Lord 2017. So when you cast a character who is orange, but still, I think ultimately to some degree, people uh, default as a white person as something other there's usually some kind of causation behind it. And so if you're going to do that, and and please do, just be, I think, completely thoughtful. Like, complete the thought. That is like one sentence of a thought. Now finish the paragraph. Yeah, That's and I, I mean, I think it's probably more than just this character or this actor overall. I mean, look, I, I, I grew up in a time when, and it's, I guess, still happening, where just female characters in, in comics were always the the proportions were always way off and and always overly sexualized uh, in in the books that that were existing when I was kind of collecting comics uh, in like the late eighties nineties I mean still but when I was first sort of being exposed to them so um, I think that that's yeah overall I think it's something to probably be aware of when we're dealing with these characters but it can be done well and I think yeah as long as you're aware of what you're doing and being sensitive to it, then hopefully the end product will, will reflect that. Um, I guess, let me say this. It bores me and just, it annoys me and frustrates me, but it also just bores me that people would freak out about this kind of casting. And that such is the world that we live in at, I guess, but it's just like, she's a orange alien. Just like, like, how is this compromising your vision of Starfire uh, that you're freaking out about the fact that it is uh, a, a non-white woman playing it? Like, so I guess I'm just more frustrated and bored with with the people that react that way, react negatively to this. And so um, uh, I don't know, maybe I, I maybe I haven't fully formed this thought yet, but. Uh, but good for, for her, for getting cast and, um, uh, and I wish the best, uh, to Anna Dio. Um, let us now transition. Uh, although as we were recording this, it is not officially out in the world. By the time you hear this podcast, uh, Amazon and Ben Edlin's new live action take on the tick will have dropped 10 episodes, um, they put out to the press six, which I have watched. Aaron, have you had a chance to watch any of the yeah, Tick? I watched uh, four of the episodes. I, I'm a big fan of the animated series, The Tick, uh, and I was a, a fan of the short-lived and underrated, although cult-followed uh, live action with Patrick Warburton. I will say, last year when I saw the pilot for this, I thought it was good, but I I wasn't really loving it. And, um, now that I've seen these four episodes, I'm in, I, I dig it. I think that first off, it's great that Ben Edlin, who created the character is heavily involved in this. I mean, the, he's the guy he's, he's spearheading this show. It's modern. It reflects sort of where we are right now with superhero culture as, as did the animated series and the live action series, actually. Um, so the humor is great. I like that it's pretty R-rated, um, or at least PG-16. Uh, so I'm I'm digging it so far. I'm, I'm really having having fun with this with this show. Having now watched the first six, it's amazing. You know, it hadn't occurred to me when I watched the pilot, and maybe this is just I, me being thick. 
But uh, Peter Serafinowicz, who is playing the Tick, sounds like Adam yeah, West. I had the exact same like thought. exactly like Adam yep, West. I I one hundred percent agree. I picked up on that as well. Like if you close your eyes, that's all. Like I was like, am I watching the sixty six Batman right now? Like it's crazy. I mean, like I had no idea someone could just like. I mean, he's. I don't want to say that he's aping or copycatting, but like, I mean, that is it's it's so clearly um, sort of ripped from that. And why wouldn't it be? I mean, the tick is is a very goofy, bombastic, colorful character, uh, as is that iteration of Batman. So it's interesting. I've, I've been in, I've been enjoying his performance. But what I like is that this is really um the characters that jump out at me as being the big main characters are Arthur and oddly um, Ms. Lint. They're like the two big driving forces in the narrative so far. Yeah. I, I'd like that with, uh, with the tick that you enjoy him when he's on screen, but it's really Arthur's story. Uh, Griffin Newman who plays him, which I, I wasn't familiar with, with him uh, before, but I'm really, I think that he's hitting that right element of Arthur that he, he is this like kind of nebbish guy, but he's not a, he's not a wimp. He's not a coward. He's, he's sort of one of us. Or, or it, or is, or he? is he, which is, I feel like sort or sort of like this, this thing that they're hinting at a little bit, even in the pilot, I feel they hinted at this. So I don't feel like we'd be spoiling too much to say that, you know, a big part of this story is where does the tick really come from? And this is also interesting, right? Because it kind of goes back to the Joker conversation we were having, which is, do you really need to know? Because it seems like we we might we might know for sure in this case. Like, it seems as though they are suggesting that the tick is a manifestation of Arthur's psyche or a portion of it. I'm up in the air as, as far as whether I want to find that out. But as far as what... I've seen so far, I agree about uh, Ms. Lent. Uh, I really enjoy her as a character. Actually, just overall, they've um, Ben Edlin, he created a, a really rich universe of superheroes. And I've always, um, I've always enjoyed whether it's uh, Batman well or Deflator Mouse or uh, I, all the characters that we saw in the different iterations of the tick. I think he's, he's, upped his game even more by just subtly kind of weaving the fabric of this tick verse um, with, with this new series. I also think that anyone out there, if you, if you check out the pilot again, I think it was good, but there was something that wasn't clicking for me. And one of those things was the suit. And I think once you get to episode two and we get the new suit and, and they kind of are really telling a story Instead of just a one-off pilot, it really starts click- clicking for me. But the suit is definitely improved um, by episode two. Did you? Will you agree with that? Like, did you dig that that initial kind of organic tick suit? I didn't hate it the way that uh, that some people did, but um, <laughs> I appreciate that. I am sure that. I mean, this one is. I think uh, the color is a little more on, and I will also say that um, I am sure that it is way more comfortable. And I don't think that Peter Serafinowicz would have been able to consistently pull in such a charming performance if he was wearing that thing every day for who for 10 episodes worth of filming, I think would have been insane. And I like that, that they, 
I really appreciate that they make a joke about it. Not to spoil the series, but they do they do make some note of the fact that he suddenly looks different. Yeah, they do. It's just a little one off. But um, another person that really is worth giving a nod to is Jackie Earl Haley, who plays the terror. And even though we I haven't you haven't seen a ton of him in the first four episodes, he is a presence and he's a bad guy. He's bad to the core. He is the terror, but he's kind of a likable villain as far as there's that there's a scene between him and Ms. Lent, uh, a bit of a flashback scene where it's just like, oh, this, like this guy's a pretty good bad guy. Uh, and and I, I can't wait to see more of him. I hope they do start, you know, uh, revealing more with the terror. Yeah, I mean, I actually there's not really anybody that that isn't terribly enjoyable. Um, I like the terror. I like I mean, Jackie Earl Haley is is a is a real talent as a as a as a sort of character actor and as a as someone who can really um, utilize the mask of that degree of makeup to his benefit. Um, God knows. I'm like, has how does the like as I interviewed him? And by the way, um, we have a whole bunch of interviews uh, that I did and, and a whole bunch of um, written stuff that uh, Tara Bennett did that you could check it on Sci-Fi Wire leading into this show. But um, he has a perfectly normal voice. And I'm like, how? Because the way that he talks as the terror is like this very raspy thing. And I feel like I would be dead. Like I would never be able to speak again if I had to, you know, spend that degree of time doing take after take using that voice. It just feels like such a crazy strain. Uh, yeah, I, I, um, I, I was thinking the same thing with that voice. I don't know how he's going to how he'll maintain that. But um, yeah, the, the, there's a nice like there's a nice roster of like supporting characters here. Even Arthur's sister, Dot, played by Valerie Curry. Oh, yeah, I'm enjoying her a lot. She's got a cool little subplot um, regarding her relationship with all of the, the, the gangs and stuff in the city, um, which is not quite what I expected. And I am enjoying that immensely because it sort of sets up uh, a, a balance because she is this caretaker um, for Arthur. But also there is going to be an opportunity for a somewhat antagonistic relationship as well and uh, and i think that that's a really cool balance to strike um i'm trying to think if there's anything else that really uh i mean the fact that that um the very large man is there is great I, I'll, I'll take a vlm that's really enjoyable like visually i think it can be a little hit or miss but like some of it is really is really funny stuff i like that i love the talking dog with the book that was raised up Christian, but now believes there's no God. <laughs> it's really is the kind of thing that only Ben Edlund would write. The, well, OK. I mean, I think what's what's worth noting is the tone as well. Just this is a world that we recognize as far as it, it it's the city. It's it's New York City, but it's the city. Um, and you have this, uh, uh, quote, dark and gritty vigilante type in the in the form of this character called Overkill, who is a a mashup of Batman and of course the Punisher and, and, and a little bit of the all-star Batman, uh, not as far as he keeps calling everybody jackass. Um, which just reminds me of, I'm the goddamn Batman, um, from the Frank Miller, all-star Batman, but, or, and Batman and Robin. Um, but I like that we see these modern superhero cinema tropes. And yet the tick himself, as you said, is channeling this, this do-gooder Adam West hero 
and and he's existing in in that uh, in this this modern world. So I think that they I think Ben Edlin really just responded to the superhero glut that we're currently existing in and and uh, was inspired by that and really just fleshed it out. And it it feels I want to I'm excited to see more from this world. Me too. And I like that. Uh, I agree that that they're definitely sort of playing into this idea that superheroes are a very known entity, um, which would make sense because, you know, our our real world, um, the superhero movie is, you know, is, is pretty much the, the most given moneymaker. It's the thing that everyone's going to go see every year is every superhero movie that comes out. Even if they get bad reviews, people will still go and check them out. Uh, and I like that they just play into that. I really enjoy there's um uh so Arthur's um stepdad, I guess, her his his mom's uh new husband uh Walter is great. I on a, on a multitude of levels, I really like that he asks everybody how their feet are doing <laughs> is again like a very Ben Edlund-esque kind of move that he just has a very specific thing like it's not just like how you feeling, it's like Hey, how are your feet? Are you taking care of your, of your feet? Have you been looking after your feet? You know, you should. You got to be very careful about those feet. I, I'm so glad you bring that up because um, he's played by Francois Chow, who is a, a character actor that um, I I best remember as uh, Dr. Chang, Pierre Chang from Lost. But he's also in The Expanse, and uh, he was in, um, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, oh, that's right. He was the Shredder. He was he the was. Shredder. And he was such he's such a, a joy to watch as a character because they set him up to be this quirky, goofy guy. And he is, but he's so damn likable that you do want to just hang out with him and, and eat cheese with him. And um, the interplay between him and the Tick is just... It's, uh, there, there's a scene in episode four where these two characters come together and this isn't really much of a spoiler, but where the two characters come together in their opening uh, presence or whatever. And it's just, it's such a, a fun uh, interaction that I hope I really, 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 really hope that we get more of him uh, in future episodes. Me too. I hope that he's just arbitrarily like having some turtle soup in a scene. <laughs> like it's just dinner time and like Arthur comes by and he's like, do you want any turtle soup, Arthur? No, man. Why are you always eat- Why are you always dining on turtle soup? That's weird. Knowing Ben Edlin, I mean, there has to be more than just coincidence that uh, that Francois Chow is already. In, in sort of a superhero universe. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see. I, I, I mean, he is really fantastic, though. I really, really enjoyed that character. As you said, the interaction between him and the take is, is really hilarious. It is actually like of the like weird character pairings they've done. Um, that is actually my second favorite. And my number one favorite is this weird thing going on between Arthur and, and Ms. Lint. Like they have a very weird relationship. Like it's strangely like I'm like are they are they gonna get together is there a weird romance I can't even I don't understand what's happening it's totally strange but I really like it it's very unlike any relationship I've ever seen between a villain and a hero or a sidekick or whatever Arthur qualifies as but I've really every time they they are on screen together I'm 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 affixed 
I'm really excited to see what happens. Yeah, me too. I, I, I'm curious to see. Yeah, there does seem to be this, uh, dare I say, flirtatious uh, sexual tension between them. And uh, yeah, I'm, I, I like her as a character. I'm curious to see where she goes because um, she is a sympathetic villain uh, and just kind of likable to, to watch. And her 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 situation with um, her ex, her live-in ex, it's pretty funny to watch too. So um, I... I have to admit, I was so skeptical when this show was coming around, and then the like I said, the pilot, you know, intrigued me but didn't win me over. But now I am, I'm, I'm, I'm all in with this show, and I really hope that people respond to it because it's on Amazon. You got to hop over to Amazon and stream it, uh, and and it's bingeable as of tomorrow, uh, August twenty fifth. So I hope people, yep. I hope people kind of dig in. It's a it's a short time commitment. Yeah, it's 10 episodes. Every episode is about 27 minutes or so. It's a really quick and easy watch. I, I don't I don't know that it's reinventing anything per se, but it's fun. All the actors are really in it to win it. And there, I think that the devil is in, de- in the details. There's all these cool, funny things, bits that they're doing. Um, so, yeah, I would say check it out for sure. I, you have seen four. I have seen six. There are 10 total. Um, and I can't imagine that somehow for the back four of them that I'm going to go, oh, now it's terrible. I feel confident. I feel confident saying that it is worth your time. Um, all right. So that, that is that, um, we want to hear from all y'all, um, let us know what you think, what you did with the eclipse, if anything, uh, how you feel about these two Joker movies, uh, what you think about the Starfire casting. And if you have watched the tick. What do you think about the tick? And uh, please make sure that you are following Sci-Fi Wire on Twitter and check out again for the tick. Especially we've got a lot of content uh, that is out. We've got a lot of video content coming out every day these days. Um, You're going to be seeing some of the Chucky stuff from Aaron uh, while he's been in London. I have already seen one of the two junkets, but there are, I think, two that you did that we're going to see. So I'm excited for that. Uh, please check out, um, please listen to us on iTunes, uh, give us a review, uh, and also listen to the other podcasts, listen to our colony podcast, listen to the churn. That's our, uh, expanse podcast with Adam Swiderski and Cher Martinetti. And also listen to Adam's, uh, sultry voice on the Alexa scale. So you can get all of your science fiction news there via Adam as a robot. Um, thank you for calling in from London, Aaron. Always nice to talk with you. One of these days we'll do it in person again. Uh, remind everybody where they can find you on, on the internet. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. Uh, I'm Aaron Sagers. You can say hi to me on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, and occasionally even on Snapchat, all at Aaron Sagers. And, uh, and hey, if you're at FryFest in London, say hi to me. Or in New York. Also, you can say hi to me there. Uh, But just don't be creepy about it. Be really creepy about it. I've given you permission. Don't listen to him. Uh, I am Danny Roth. Uh, You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at DannyOrdinary. That is Danny with one N. Ordinary also with one N. And wherever you find us, we hope we find you next week on another episode of Who Won the Week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.